Hello, and welcome to Climate Fix Podcast. Here we dive into evidence-based solutions to climate change and various other pressing environmental issues. This is your host, Phil Ord. Warning, this podcast may challenge your views on environmentalism and push back on conventional environmental thought with science and data. We hope you approach with humanism and an open mind. This podcast is created by Americans for Nuclear Energy, ANE, a pro-nuclear environmental organization. We take no money from industry or special interest groups. All donations are from individuals like you, interested in a grassroots scientific movement to solve the world's most pressing scientific problem, global climate change. Our mission statement is as follows. Nuclear energy is safe, cheap, plentiful, clean, and efficient. It has the capability to stop and reverse climate change while addressing the ever-growing demand for electricity globally. We strive to educate American citizens about this technology and to dispel misconceptions with facts. We firmly believe that both human civilization and industrialism can easily coexist with a healthy environment. We are very excited to talk to two very special guests for this podcast, Dr. Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen, 2020 Libertarian Party nominees for President and Vice President of the United States. The Libertarian Party is America's third largest political party, so this is quite a big deal for us. It is especially a big deal because a big talking point of this party in this election cycle is the outward support of nuclear power as a way to address the climate issue. Joe Jorgensen has especially been vocal about the use of this technology, especially especially to reach out to potential voters concerned about the environment. Spike Cohen has expressed support of the technology as well. Here is some background on Dr. Jorgensen. Joe is a senior lecturer in psychology at Clemson University. She holds a PhD in industrial-slash-organizational psychology and has taught full-time since 2006. She graduated in 1979 from Baylor University with a BS in psychology and in 1980 graduated from Southern Methodist University with an MBA. Joe started her own software sales business in 1983 and founded a business consulting company in 2002 and continues working with select clients. In 1992, she was the Libertarian Party's candidate for South Carolina's 4th Congressional District. A few years later, in 1996, Jorgensen won the Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee with Harry Brown. And now, in 2020, she recently made history by becoming the first female presidential nominee in Libertarian Party history. And now to Spike Cohen. Spike Cohen is the Libertarian Party nominee for vice president, running alongside Dr. Jorgensen. Spike started a web design company in his teens in 1999 and grew it into a successful business. In 2016, he was diagnosed with MS. Faced with that life-changing discovery, Spike decided to retire from web design and focus his life on his true passion, spreading the message of liberty to the public. This culminated in his becoming the host of My Fellow Americans and the co-host of The Muddied Waters of Freedom and the co-owner of Muddied Waters Media. Last month, the Libertarian Party nominated him to be their vice presidential candidate, making him the first millennial on a presidential ticket in American history. Spike's leadership and communication skills that he learned from 20 years of starting, growing, and operating a business are serving him well in his run for the White House. So that's a little bit about our guests today. 
I am super excited for this episode. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen. Enjoy. Dr. Joe Jorgensen, how are you? Fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to talk to you. And it's uh, honestly an exciting time being a libertarian, hearing all the talk about nuclear power. So, uh, I yes. Guess we'll, yep. And I guess so. I guess we will get straight into it. Uh, well, in fact, yeah, before you start asking me questions, if you don't mind, okay. I'd like to mention that I've got three top issues. And one of the issues, one of the top three is the environment. And my main issue for that is that we need to go nuclear. So this isn't just like I happened upon your show. I've been promoting this for over a year. Great. Uh, that's that, that's good to hear. And I think uh, the pro-nuclear environmental movement is starting to really gain some traction. So yep. uh, this, this helps out a lot. So, all right. Uh, well, let me ask you our first questions. Uh, what made you cite the environment as a critical issue to gather support for the Libertarian Party? And what led you to see nuclear power as a good solution to climate change? Yeah, so in general, I chose the environment because the young people are very interested in it and they're concerned about it. And libertarians in the past have often talked about what interests them and not what interests voters. And voters are demanding a better option for energy, especially the younger voters. And so we need to meet that need. And the reason I chose nuclear is because it's basically, if you love the environment, the only true choice is nuclear power. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's just, just in terms of the very physics of it, uh, it's, it's a very dense fuel. It's, it's zero emissions and uh, it can be rapidly scaled, uh, even within a capitalist framework, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's great to hear. Uh, so, many pro-nuclear advocates think that the government has gotten in the way of nuclear power innovation. Mm -hmm. What would you push in Washington to fix the regulatory red tape of this planet-saving industry? So... As I'm sure you know, we haven't had a new nuclear power plant in this country in 30 years. And as I mentioned before, this is clean technology. If you love the environment, you need to be for nuclear power. So we are missing all of the benefit of this modern technology with emissions-free energy that the nuclear power can produce. So we absolutely have to streamline and reduce the regulations that are issued by the NRC that are making building a nuclear power plant cumbersome. Um, as president, I will port, uh, sorry, appoint a chairman to head the NRC who is on board with an agenda to deregulate and streamline the organization. And as with everything, you know, one thing that the libertarians are always emphasizing is that often government gets in the way of individuals doing the right thing, doing the best thing. And so just like with everything else, health care, social security, um, when we get government out of the way of nuclear power, 
we can quickly move towards more plants and show that they can compete successfully. For sure, for sure. And uh, yeah, I think one of the problems is, is that these large plants uh, have, have just taken so long to build and they go over budget. And you look at places like China and South Korea and the United Arab Emirates, they can build these things in five years, you know, relatively on time and on budget. And, right. Um, and yeah, and I'm sure um, I, you know, I'm sure you know more about this than I do, although I have done a lot of reading into this. But my understanding is that basically what happened was the government came up with their one monopoly solution, you know, one type of nuclear power plant uh, that they ordained. And then, of course, just like everything else in the free market, they stop working to come up with the best quality. And my understanding is now with the new advanced nuclear power, we've got a lot of smaller plants and we've got different companies coming up with different plants so they can compete with each other. Yeah, it's a, it's a way to circum, circumvent some of the, uh, the problems with these more larger designs. And I would I'd just say to be fair, the government tries to choose one or two designs because mm -hmm. if you pick too many, then it's hard to duplicate it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But uh, countries that have used the state to institute nuclear power have chosen uh, like one or two designs to build over and over again. But our goal is to try to get the right energy built without the government having to fund it, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I would like to see additional... Um competition. In fact, I've likened it to if we've got, uh, let's say we've got Steve Jobs with Apple, we've got Bill Gates, we've got IBM, we've got all these different computer companies competing for your business. You know, what if the government had come out and said, okay, we pick Bill Gates, everybody else just stop building computers. And my understanding is that Rolls Royce is one of the companies and we've got several other companies that are building technology so that just like how Bill Gates and Steve Jobs had to work hard again, you know, competing against each other, coming up with the best product, that that's what we're seeing now with nuclear energy, that people are trying to come up with a better product that is not the old-fashioned nuclear power that people uh, think about. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of, like, startups. And one thing I think the government's done well, it's actually surprisingly bar sorry, excuse me, sorry. Uh, there's actually quite a bit of bipartisan support for advancing nuclear in Congress. But one thing this government has been changing is they're going to help uh, these startups test their designs on national lab property. So basically giving them a place to, to test their designs so that they can get them out to market and compete. So. Yes, exactly. So yeah. um, I, I think that, you know, we're headed in the right direction. Definitely. Cool. Well, uh, I have a few more questions here. Let me ask you. Sure. Um, do you think the government hoists up the fossil fuel industry unfairly? And would you commit to ending all energy subsidies, including nuclear, and especially subsidies given to the fossil fuel companies that are the ones that are polluting? Oh, yeah. Well, there were a couple of questions in there. Yeah, sorry uh, but, about that. Yeah, they, yeah, do I think that the government um, 
hoists, uh, I believe you said, up the fossil fuel industry unfairly? Absolutely. And I would end all energy subsidies, all Mm -hmm. wind, solar, nuclear, coal, everything. Because, you know, if, if an energy source isn't good enough, uh, to that somebody would invest their own money. Why should you take somebody else's money and invest it? If if there were profits to be made, if it was a good enough power source, and I'm talking any power source, if yeah. any power source was good enough to make a profit on, then we would have people trying to do that so they could make a profit. And the fact that wind and solar need so much government subsidies so so many government subsidies just shows that that's not a good option because people aren't willing to subsidize it themselves with their own money. So, um, and people will argue that, Oh, uh, wind and solar aren't really that subsidized, but if you look at per unit energy derived from those sources, they are subsidized the most. And I, I don't want to say no renewables like wind and solar. All I want to do is, have it have all of these sources compete on merit and i honestly believe nuclear will compete the best on merit but i'm saying let's not decide the winners or losers let's have a competition you know yeah exactly and that's what the libertarian party believes in every in everything and do you mind if i give a, a healthcare example for nuclear here sure yeah that's fine something? because um what we need, the, the, the beauty of the free market is that people work for you, that companies try to give you the best quality for the lowest price. Otherwise, they, they go out of business. And if you look in the healthcare industry, which we've all heard, you know, and well, we all know we're feeling it, you know, prices keep going up and up and up. There are two fields in which prices have been going down. And those two fields are cosmetic surgery and LASIK surgery. And it's because insurance doesn't pay for those. People pay for them out of their own pocket. So what's happening is the doctors in those fields have to work to um, show that they have the best product. Uh, they have to earn your business. They have to lower the price or whatever to get you to, to go over to them. And that's the kind of market competition I would like to see in energy. We need to have a play a level playing field and let all forms of energy compete. And I know that if that happens, nuclear energy is going to do much better than many of the other ones. So again, if it doesn't make sense to spend your own money on it, why would it make sense to take other people's money and spend it on it? If if it's if it were such a good investment, people would be spending their own money on it. Right. And I think a lot of uh people would agree agree with that. So um, let me, uh, ask you a few more questions here. Uh, what do you bring to the climate issue that speaks to both the right and the left? Well, I would say if you don't like crony capitalism, and if you want to get the government out of the way of emission-free energy, then you need, we need to end subsidies and deregulation that, both the left and the right would like to see their hard-earned dollars, uh, would like to keep as many of their hard-earned dollars as they can. And if you think about it, um, who doesn't want cheaper energy? Look at how expensive uh, our, our heating bills can be, air conditioning bills. So 
everybody gets to save money. With that money, they can go out to dinner, they can you know, work towards a vacation, whatever. So if you want to put an end to threats to the economy, like the Green New Deal, uh, my plan does that. It allows people to keep uh, their own power, to keep their own choice. Interesting. Yeah. What I've noticed in my years working at this now is you meet some very interesting, like, uh, or you come toward, you you see some interesting coalitions being formed. A nuclear power is one of those technologies that offers the, you know, the lifeblood of the economy many of the conservatives want and offers the carbon-free electricity most of uh most of the left wants so i i found i found weird support like like nuclear power is one of the things that i believe can get people that are skeptical on climate and those uh who are concerned about climate on the same page so uh, yeah that's yeah that's yeah, that's an excellent point. And, you know, we really all want the same thing. We all want to have nice homes that our families can go to. We want a job that we enjoy. We want, and, and it's just a matter of how we get there um, that gives us a difference in opinion. But, yeah, you make a good point. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, Gary Johnson said, um, most people are libertarian. They just don't know it yet. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see. Uh, I don't have that many more questions left. Uh, you said you had about 20 minutes. I, uh, yes, I can just, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can just mention a few other things, which okay. is that, yep. uh, you know, if I keep talking about it in terms of the environment and I don't think we've really emphasized the economy as much. So, right. Yeah, exactly. So modern nuclear power plants serve all of our concerns, not just uh, having a clean environment, but also having a clean environment without sacrificing the economy. And that's really important. Um, as you know, people who identify as conservatives are concerned about legislation like the Green New Deal and what it can do to the economy. So, and, and they don't like the idea of the huge carbon tax. So. Right. I was going to, um, and I don't know, like, cause I, I don't know what you are comfortable answering, but I actually have a uh, hypothetical for you, a question okay. that uh, it refers to this thing. And I know it's, it sounds like government, big government, but it's called the carbon fee and dividend. Mm -hmm. And that uh, it's actually, so there's this group called the citizens climate lobby that mm -hmm. is bipartisan and it gathers support from Republicans and Democrats on climate, which is rare, but the idea is to do this thing called a fee and dividend, as in, first of all, it's not a tax and that the government does not keep any of the revenue, and all of the revenue gets given back to every single citizen, which would help the poor people with the temporary increase of costs in finding new sources of energy. Mm -hmm. And what it would do is uh, it would be like a fee at the point of extraction, like uh, per ton of coal, uh, per barrel of oil, and per liter of natural gas, uh, because that has a you know a, a climate cost, and uh, 
it would be you know ratcheted up slowly and the way i would look at it mm-hmm. uh if you're if you're if you're following is uh um is i don't think anybody should be able to pollute for free and i do think the fossil fuel industry has been able to you know maybe we'll disagree with me but treat the uh the atmosphere as a dumping ground for all sorts of you know pollutants like greenhouse gases and then NOx and socks and all sorts of particulate matter i was wondering you know do you think anything like that could ever be in a libertarian ideal well the libertarian ideal is that people can peacefully choose uh, what to spend their money on, how to, you know, where to work and so forth, that they get to make their own choices in their own lives. So I heard you say that this wasn't through the government, correct? Um, uh, the re- the, gov- the government does not get to keep any of the revenue. It gets funneled back to every citizen. Oh, kind of like the, the, oh yeah, go ahead. Okay. But, but the government is still in charge of it, right? Yes, but it would be a lot less bureaucratic because it's just yeah. collecting revenue and cutting checks. That's kind of the. This is the more kind of like progressive leaning libertarian ideas because I'm not. I'm not very. I'm not a very, uh, uh, you know, radical libertarian. I'm more of a moderate. So. <laughs> yes. Well, um, my stance is pretty much anything the government can do, people can do on their own much better. That once you involve the government, then you're starting to lose control and power. So I would mm-hmm. have to look at that. Okay. Um, the way you've described it, I don't understand, you know, why it couldn't be done without the government as most things could be done. Right. So, uh, so, you know, if, as long as people are voluntarily exchanging amongst each other, as long as right. they're voluntarily paying for something for something they want, it's fine with me. So, but I would have to look at that, um, a little, a little, you know, more thoroughly, but like I said, I can't think of hardly anything that the government does better than a group of individuals couldn't do. All right. Sounds good to me. And the argument could be made that as long as the regulations are fair and the government isn't picking winners and losers, the uh, best technology will win on merit. And we might not even need to look at carbon pricing at all. So I think. Yeah. And and, and that's the whole point of getting the government out of it. Exactly. And so, um, uh, and 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 I, I would like to mention, you said you're a more moderate libertarian. I wouldn't call myself a moderate libertarian. I, I, I want to go okay. I want to go all the way. I, I just I, all I want are police courts and military. However, Fair I don't enough. mind yeah, however, I don't mind taking baby steps along the way. So right. because for instance, with social security, uh, what I've said is I want an immediate opt-out for the younger people because they know it's a broken system. I don't want them to pay into it. But for the old people, the old I say old people, but you know, people who have retired, I'm not going to just pull the rug out from underneath them. Mm-hmm. I would say you've paid into the system for 50 or 60 years. We're going to sell government assets and give you that money, give you your money back. So I'm not about, you know, let's just pull the rug out from everybody. I'm, I'm fine with taking steps along the way. Exactly. And I, I actually, uh, at a rally in 2016, I talked to, I was able to talk to Gary Johnson and he said, mm-hmm. you know, he'd be, he'd be willing to consider pollution controls that are enforced in a court of law because I just believe, just my personal opinion is that, you know, you could pollute on your own property, but, oh. you know, once it flows over to other people, you gotta, then you become culpable with the non-aggression principle and whatnot. 
Yeah, of course. And as I'm sure you know, libertarians view pollution as trespassing. And we do have laws against trespassing. And we've got police and courts that enforce that. So of course, we would like to enforce uh, pollution trespassing. And that's the problem again, with the government in charge is our beautiful waterways, you know, the, the Gulf of Mexico spill, all of a lot of these things could be prevented or at least have a cleaner environment if it were owned privately where people had a vested interest and they could sue people for polluting, which is basically trespassing. Right. Got it. Okay. Well, we're kind of running low on time here, but I wanted to say thanks for joining us. Uh, Do you want to tell our listeners where to go to learn more about you and your uh, candidacy? Absolutely. It's joj2020.com. So it's joj2020.com. And we'd love to have you check us out. If you are interested in nuclear energy, if you are pro-nuclear energy, the Libertarian Party is the only party uh, that is advocating it like this. So please come to our site. Well said. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. I can't tell you how honored I am to have a presidential candidate on my okay. little my my little baby podcast. So uh, oh, thank you. Appreciate this- This is an important issue. I was just so thrilled to be here. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks. And here we have Spike Cohen, Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee. How are you, Spike? I'm doing great, Phil. How are you doing? I'm ecstatic that I am actually interviewing uh, people that are running for president and vice president. That's crazy. I'm kind of fangirling a little bit right now. <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, pretty new to the Libertarian Party, but we try to keep things non-partisan here. So uh, we want to try to uh, reach across to Democrats and Republicans too for the magic of nuclear power. Right, so, absolutely. Uh, so let's see, I'm trying to think where we should start. So the way I like to frame climate change and pollution and what to do about it is in terms of private property rights. And that's kind of a different lens to look at, but I see there is a glitch in the energy system where what we use to produce the energy releases a a greenhouse gas that we don't know when and how, but we have a general idea can really disrupt the climate system, which I think is a threat to liberty and prosperity elsewhere. So I look at carbon pollution as like a tragedy of the commons issue mm-hmm. where it is an externality that affects everyone. So when you release carbon dioxide, it does not just pollute your own private property it pollutes the entire world and mixes with the atmosphere. Yep, so absolutely. Based on that, do you think the government has a responsibility to step in and somehow uh, penalize carbon dioxide emissions? 
I think that the government has put us in the position that they're in that we're in right now. If you, if you look at where we are right now, uh, first of all, the largest single polluter is the U.S. government. Uh, if you look at the actions of the government and the military, it is easily the single largest polluter, uh, polluting organization on Earth. Uh, and then if you look at all of the other large polluters, they're all the cronies uh, that have created their massive dominance in their various sectors of the market, not necessarily by uh, increasing demand or, 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 or having a large amount of value in the market, but by leveraging the fiat and the of, of the law and leveraging the politicians that they put in place uh, to uh, entrench themselves and to retain their positions and grow their positions of power and wealth and influence uh, in the market without having to actually create enough value to have gotten there in the first place. And so because of that, I tend to be somewhat skeptical of the idea of government being the, uh, the source of solutions here. Uh, now, I will say with that said, like you were saying, this is a property rights issue. Uh, and there's actually been a lot of debate in libertarian circles about the property rights issue when applied to something like pollution, and whether it's climate change, uh, whether it's uh, carbon uh, carbon dioxide or, or greenhouse gases, or even just regular pollution, like you know air pollution, water pollution, and so forth. Uh, energy is a perfect example of something that in and of itself is not creating any direct aggression. But if you look at the, you know, again, the, the carbon dioxide output with some sources of energy, the uh, um, uh, the toxic waste that is created, the water pollution that is created, those are, uh, they are externalizing their costs uh, and their and, and their waste on everyone else, which uh, in a strict property rights sense is an act of aggression, or at least uh, something that needs to, uh, you know, be restored or, or, or be, um, you know, that, that, that there needs to be a, 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 a rectification of that. And I'm not sure that's going to come from government. I think that the best thing government can do right now is to stop subsidizing dirty forms of energy right. and also stop subsidizing the so-called renewables that just, at least for now, aren't there yet. And in some cases, I recently uh, read a study about how in Europe, uh, as they were trying to bring all of the uh, you know nuclear power plants offline and replace them with so-called renewables, because the renewables are not as reliable in providing steady energy to the grid, it was causing uh, them to have to use more greenhouse gas during those surge times and during the times when, for example, there wasn't as much wind or there wasn't as much sunlight. And so you actually saw a net increase in greenhouse gas consumption uh, because of a switching from the nuclear model, which is which is you know entirely stable and, and is producing the same amount, same stable amount of energy uh, in any kind of environmental conditions, uh, replacing it with so-called renewables that were much more uh, unstable and, and, and much less predictable in terms of, of you know, when they could reach their peak output. Um, so there was another perfect example of by government injecting themselves into the market instead of allowing the market to do what it does, uh, we ended up with actually with with more greenhouse gas uh, production as a direct result of not allowing the market to to meet its needs. Yeah, definitely. The uh, but you're referring to Germany, uh, and they closed there's closed their nuclear power plants, and because of that, they're still heavily reliant on lignite coal, which is the dirtiest coal of them right. all. And uh, France, on the other hand, is seventy uh, percent nuclear powered electric grid. And uh, twenty, uh, I think, and then twenty percent hydro. So they're basically one of the cleanest grids in Europe, and no one is paying attention to that. Uh, right. But the reason why I brought up the talking about this in terms of property rights is there is a policy position, and I know 
anytime the government does something, it it rubs libertarians the wrong way for good reason, <laughs> which is fine. Um, uh, but there's this bipartisan uh, like rule called the carbon fee and dividend. Now it's not a tax; it's a it's, a, it's called a carbon fee and dividend, and it's a it basically what it would do is because you know greenhouse gas emissions are uh, I think a violation of the non-aggressor aggression principle and uh there should be a way to gently start to uh put a price on it meaning at the point of extraction you would put you know a few cents per ton of coal uh per uh liter of natural gas and per barrel of oil uh that would all go into one pot then that pot would go back to every single american citizen so it's basically the fossil fuel industry in a sense, paying reparations. I don't like that word, but right. paying paying some sort of fee to the paying a restitution for what they and, did, right? And then right. if you deregulate all 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 the energy, including nuclear, I mean, I I want nuclear to play fair, you know. Um, that way, you know, it would incentivize people to do whatever they can to move off of fossil fuels as cost effectively as possible. And um, if if nuclear is like, you know, the regulations are streamlined. It could be a big player in that. I was just wondering what you would think of that. And I know you're more on the kind of, you know, uh, not conservative end, but like the more strict end of libertarianism, but just thought you'd, what, what would you think about something like that? So my, my concern is, you know, it's it's one of these things that that sounds good as an idea. You know, this is an act of aggression, and in order to to level off and 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 allow for restitution of that aggression, the government gets in and basically, like you said, sets a price for a carbon output. Everyone pays into it, and then it's it's given out to everyone. The, the problem is what we've seen whenever the government does something like this, with whatever the best of intentions may have been. Over time, we get the mission creep that is standard issue with government regulations. The mm -hmm. cronies step in to get their exemptions. Other cronies yes. step in to make sure that certain types of of in this case greenhouse gases are seen as you know it's sort of in the animal farm. Uh, some animals are more equal than others, and some types of carbon will be seen as more equal than others. And what ends up happening is you, you end up with essentially a, a slush fund that will almost assuredly end up being used for cronies and, and their intent purposes. Uh, a perfect example is all of the, um, you know, the renewable, all of the, all of the, you know, the, the, uh, investments from government that have gone towards uh, renewable energy were with the best of intention. It was the idea that there would be this sort of Manhattan project, uh, if you will, of you know the federal government jumpstarting renewable energy so that we could finally move into the 21st century and move away from uh, polluting greenhouse gases, which again don't just cause climate change, but they cause all sorts of terrible things. That that you know spewing that kind of stuff into the air causes all sorts of trouble. Uh, not besides just uh, you know green, greenhouse. Um, uh, climate change. Uh, but what do we have now? What we have now is the government arbitrarily and centrally planning out our energy grid and our, and our energy future. And as a result, the cronies are deciding what happens there. So now what's happening is instead of the market making decisions in terms of what is the best way to move forward on energy... Okay, cool. So yeah, as I was saying, uh, you know, we ended up in a situation where government was subsidizing corn farms in Iowa for ethanol, even though it had been proven that that didn't really help with 
greenhouse gas emissions. If anything, it, there's some that said that it was actually worse. But yep. because government uh, created a so-called solution uh, and the cronies stepped in for what they needed, and in that case, the politicians wanted to help Iowa because that was the first state that uh, ch- uh, has their caucus or primary that chooses the uh, the presidential nominees, uh, they got top billing. So uh, I, I tend to think that rather than putting the decisions in the hands of those who are largely doing it for political and personal finance considerations, uh, I think in this case, uh, this is another example where it would be best left to the market. And in this case, that would mean removing the subsidies that are tipping the scales uh, away from, for example, nuclear. Uh, and also in terms of potentially removing the, I understand that there are some protections against lawsuits that some energy companies have where they can't be sued uh, for the damage that they are doing that is environmental damage. Um, that would be another perfect example of removing the government and allowing the market to work. Um, so I would definitely support uh, support that. Yeah, sometimes uh, with the whole energy and climate thing, I am more and more convinced that the a lot of the environmental movements misled, governments are incompetent, yep. and uh, the only way out is technology. And whatever that that, that technology is, it has to be affordable. Because if energy it's not cheap. No one's going to buy it because exactly. it's the lifeblood of all economies all over the world. I don't care if you're, you know, communist or, you know, anarchist libertarian, you know, it's, it, you need cheap energy for it all to work. Uh, so, and that's why I think nuclear represents our way out. And because if we let, and I think if we had a, more even playing field for energy, uh, it would it would win and it would put fossil fuels out of business. But right now we have kind of a a protection for fossil fuels, which it's I don't think it's very that's moral either. So yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. Uh, I I just like to you know always keep in mind some sort of policy that might work to not just in the right direction, but I. I, I totally get what you're saying. And, uh, here's a, here's another way that government could be helpful. Uh, part of the reason that we are in all of the wars that we are in is to uh, secure cheap fossil fuels. Now, you want to talk about an externalization. How about bombing and invading and destabilizing entire regions of the world at the cost of trillions of dollars a year and, and and countless lives lost both in those countries and among our our you know our friends and neighbors and, and loved ones who go over there and fight there's a real externalization there that's happening for on the you know to the benefit of the fossil fuel cronies if that wasn't happening fossil fuels would be necessarily more expensive and uh, you know slightly harder to get and that would be another perfect example of how if that weren't happening then uh, nuclear would make all that much more sense we don't have to you know, bomb foreign countries for nuclear energy. Um, and, uh, and so that's just another example of how the government getting out of the market, the government getting out of the, the situation and simply allowing market decisions to be made by individuals and organizations working voluntarily with one another to find the best solutions to the challenges that we face, rather than having those decisions made by politicians and their cronies and bureaucrats, uh, will be in a much better position. It's also geopolitically the fact that we have to rely on finding these vast quantities of fuel to power everything yep. and fighting over it is also a a, a problem. The thing about mm-hmm. nuclear power is, yes, it uses a fuel, but the fuel is so plentiful and so dense 
it's basically no fuel at all. And that sounds like the economics of nuclear fuel is weird that way, where it, it really doesn't cost much. It only costs to uh, refine it, to put it into the reactor. But the the fuel is no, it, there's so much fuel in the world and we can recycle it and all that. And it's, it's, it's basically, I, I like to tell people, nuclear power is like a magic electricity box. You just set it up, plug it in, and it can give you uninterrupted power for like decades. So, uh, and it, it would just help, I think a lot with our national security, not, you know, to be in bed with the Saudis and stuff like that, uh, where it, it just, it, it makes the world more volatile if we have to keep relying on uh, fossil fuels for electricity. Absolutely. Cheap, stable, clean energy. If you look at any of the major um, economic advancements that have happened since the industrial age, every single one of them corresponds with a to whatever degree they were, the, the people in the market were able to dramatically reduce the cost and increase the supply of energy, you saw a corresponding revolution in some cases of the economy, both worldwide and in specific regions. And so the, the cheaper and more plentiful and, and well, really just the cheaper and more plentiful energy is, the better it is for all of us. And of course, the cleaner it is, uh, the better it is for all of us. So if you can have a situation where not only does it become cheaper and more plentiful, but also cleaner, then that's better across the board. And that will lead to dramatic societal changes. When things are cheaper, when energy is cheaper, societies can change more easily. And we can have a technological advancements more easily that, that benefit us in every way, in ways large and small, in every way that we can possibly think of. Definitely. And I, I, I sometimes define, like when I talk about nuclear power, I, I mean, just because I'm in love with that technology, but I consider it basically energy liberation forever. And that means so much to humanity. And at the beginning of the nuclear power age, that's what a lot of these technologists were thinking. They're just like, man, we can have power for all the poor people without polluting. And then it got turned sour through, you know, mis misguided environmentalists and probably even some sabotage by competing industries uh, to uh, to get, you know, knocked off the knocked off the path and now i think people are waking up to being like oh crap we made a big mistake so uh i was just wondering why do you think nuclear power is especially this election cycle so popular with the libertarian presidential candidates uh before you guys were nominees well, I think that we recognize, you know, we have a situation where between the Republicans, between the Republicans and Democrats, when they look at energy and climate change, uh, they fall into two kind of nonsensical camps. Uh, one camp on the Republican side uh, is still insisting that climate change isn't real, uh, that it's a hoax from China, that the scientists are making it up. Uh, they point to the fact that, and this is true, that, uh, you know, um, that climate Climate, the climate does naturally change even without human input. But what they're not realizing is that 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 gradual increase that's happening because of human input, uh, it's sort of the uh, someone explained it. It's sort of like a bathtub that if a bathtub, the amount of water in it was naturally going up and down. And we as humans, you know, turned on the uh, the faucet and just let it trickle, even though it wouldn't be noticeable immediately over time, that trickling would cause it to to, you know, go up more dramatically to a, to a point that, you know, isn't isn't within the natural scope of, of climate change. Um, on the other side, 
are Democrats who recognize climate change is real, although sometimes they they may uh, catastrophize it immediately. You know, Al Gore saying that the seas would rise by 2007, and you know, I'll, I'll, you know, where I live in Myrtle Beach would be completely underwater. You know, 13 years ago. Um, but then you also have that they're using it not necessarily to push good ideas, certainly not market-based ideas, but they're using it to push more of the same, more cronyism. The so-called Green New Deal is nothing if not more cronyism for their favored crony businesses, more, uh, you know, in, in investments in companies like, you know, the next Solyndra, which will, you know, rate, you know, run up a bunch billions of dollars in, in federal grants and loans and, and go bankrupt because the, the underlying technology behind it was always suspect. Um, and there will be many more like that. Um, the idea that the, the biggest problems here are, you know, uh, that, you know, individual Americans are driving around in cars as opposed to the, the massive crony polluters and the, the U.S. government themselves that does the, the vast majority of the polluting. So using the reality of climate change, not as a reason to make uh, uh, revolutionary changes in the market and in the way that we get energy, but more so to try to use it to force their pet social changes and and and, and pet projects that often don't have much, if at all, to do with the the issue of energy or the climate or the environment. So, given those two options, there's really only one party that's going to provide a sensible option between them, and that's the Libertarian Party. We do, or most of us, recognize that climate change is real, or that at the very least, there is sufficient evidence to believe that this could potentially be a problem if we don't even just agree with it outright. And if that is the case, as libertarians, we recognize that the market is always the best way to find solutions to the problems that we face. And uh, in contrast, the government is often the one creating these problems, making them worse, or at the very least, making it harder for us to find those solutions. And so I think that naturally brings us to uh, nuclear energy, which has proven itself to be the overall safest. And I think, you know, for people who know about Fuku uh, Fukushima and, you know, Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, they may, they may you know, grimace when they hear me say safer. But if you look, even, even with those factored in, if you look at the relative safety profile of nuclear energy and compare it to anything else that is producing anywhere near the same amount of energy as nuclear, it's not even comparable. Nuclear is far, far safer, even with those accidents, which have already in, in newer power plants, they've already addressed those safety concerns so that they won't happen in the future. Whereas with these older and dirtier forms of energy, they don't have anything in place to make it safer over time. It's going to remain as unsafe as it always has been. Um, I, I am truly someone who believes that any conversation about reducing greenhouse gases that is not centered around reducing greenhouse gas through the implementation and expansion of nuclear energy is not a serious discussion about greenhouse gases because it's not looking at the data. It's not looking at the way that we can both maintain or even increase the amount of energy uh, uh, accessibility we have and reduce the cost uh, and also reduce the actual problem, which is the greenhouse gas emissions. So I think that's where we are. Yeah, you hit so many things on the head. And honestly, one of the reasons, and I mean, I I was for Bernie in 2016, and I just started to get really research into the energy issue. And a lot of that helped me kind of be like, wait a second, you know, what what has the government really done to solve the climate issue when I, I know what the answer is and the technologists could get back to work immediately to to fix it if people just got out of the way. And that's honestly, that's kind of got me to kind of go over to like the the liberty movement, whatever that right. means. And and I'm not I try to be a moderate. I mean, I'm 
I, there are some things I disagree with with libertarians and the Libertarian Party, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I like most of what they have to say. But I, I mean, again, it's nuclear power is not necessarily a libertarian issue, but it makes sense that it's kind of been, you know, supported uh, because it's it, it, it's just it's it, it's just a good source of power that's affordable. So it it is what we believe in. It, it is a perfect. Uh, encapsulation of what we believe in. We believe that the market and technology will bring us out and what we call human action, just the idea that humans voluntarily interacting with one another in the market will always find better solutions to the problems that we face than any kind of centrally planned, politically considered uh, organization like the government ever could, because just by the very nature of the structure of government compared to the structure of the market, we believe in what we call the spontaneous nature of the market, the so-called invisible hand, the idea that people working voluntarily and using price signals and supply and demand and, 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 and research and collaboration and competition will come up with the most spontaneous and, 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 and flexible options uh, at, in real time to the problems that we face. And in contrast, the very brittle nature of of a centrally planned uh, organization that exists not based on demand or, or supply or price signals, but based instead on the fiat of law, based instead on the fact that someone once wrote on a sheet of paper that it has to be done this way, and therefore they will use whatever level of violence is necessary to force everyone to do what it says on that sheet of paper, whether or not it even makes sense to the people who are currently writing things on sheets of paper or the person whose job it is to force you to do that thing you're never going to get the same uh, kind of quality of outcome from that kind of an arrangement or that kind of an organization as you are from people just voluntarily working with one another. Yeah, and I think people would definitely, like the more people learn about nuclear, the more they understand that's actually really cool. And yep. the more people I think would want to buy it, uh, they would want to be like, oh, uh, if, you know, maybe I will pay a little bit of extra to to a nuclear power company instead of a fossil fuel company, uh, then uh, unfortunately, energy use doesn't really work that way. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, people would be like, you know, hey, saving the planet and allowing to, you know, enjoy the, you know, material conditions of modern society. You know, that's a, people will pay for that. And I think, right, I think exactly. right. I mean, I, and plus like, like, for example, like me and my roommate, we've been, uh, really getting into eating meatless, and there are so many different alternatives now to 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 eat a low uh, emission uh, diet, and it's the the freedom of choice. I just think is a good. It's always a good thing. And uh, but a little bit more on you know the libertarian idea of nuclear power. One like caveat to that is in the past you've seen these large nuclear power projects being state-sponsored. France, mm -hmm. you know, they did the right decision, but still the government mandated it. And I mean, right. and, you know, there's something to be said that they just did it right. But then again, I, I don't want it just to, I don't want to have to be like, okay, we aren't going to do your stuff. We're going to do that stuff. I mean, I want it to still be a, be a choice. Um, so, uh, so given that it usually big government has, you know, sponsored nuclear power what do you believe is a way to make it more uh market friendly if you will absolutely and in fact here's a perfect example of why we don't want government to be involved even in the things we agree with 
We see here and in Russia uh, and in France and other places where because the government was involved in nuclear energy, they often did everything they could to bury any kind of you know uh, revelations about something unsafe that was happening on a nuclear plant or with the nuclear research because they didn't want it to blow back on them for political considerations. And of course, that never works. People always find out what's happening. Chernobyl eventually melted down and, you know, entire sections of uh, what is it? The Ukraine are, are, are still unlivable as a result of that. If that had been a market influence thing, there would have been nothing in place for that company to simply, you know, ignore what was happening and try to hide it from everyone. As soon as there was some kind of risk of something happening because of the fact that it would be, a, you know, a, a voluntary organization that did this, they wouldn't have the, the power of the state and the power of law to suppress information. Same thing with Three Mile Island, probably the same thing with Fukushima. And I think that just allowing the market uh, to to do you know whatever the thing is, and in, in, and in this case, we're talking about nuclear energy, that also prevents on the other side, because there are risks with nuclear energy, just like with any other source of energy, by removing the state, by removing that fiat of law, and by removing that ability to suppress information and to you know obfuscate and, and hide information, that makes it inherently safer. That brings in the people who are you know watchdog watchdogging and and you know whistleblowing and making sure that if something unsafe is happening at a plant, people know very early so that it can be addressed before it becomes a real problem, as opposed to people for political consider considerations burying it and hoping that it doesn't blow up in their face until they're out of office and you know the next group of politicians has to deal with it. In terms of how to make nuclear energy more market friendly, again, I think if you remove the subsidies and the regulatory burdens and everything that make uh, you know nuclear more expensive and make the its its competitors artificially less expensive, like you know the subsidies for uh, both renewables and green and uh, fossil fuels, like the wars to you know increase access to fossil fuels. If you remove all of those things and simply allow the market to determine to determine it. Nuclear is going to be much better. Here's another perfect example, and, and and you can give me your thoughts on this. You know the very the fact that we use uranium, from what I understand, and may, and, and you may you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've read, the reason that we are using uranium as our main source of nuclear energy instead of thorium is because you can't make nuclear weapons with thorium, and so when the you know when the initial uh, push for nuclear energy uh, was first happening in the 40s and 50s. Uh, the governments funded the uranium reactors uh, because they were used as so-called breeder reactors to create plutonium to make nuclear energy. And so uh, even though thorium is much more naturally available than uranium, I think it's you know several orders of magnitude more available. Um, uh, it is much more already naturally enriched, so it doesn't require any kind of enriching. Uh, it's much safer to use because it isn't fissile uh, and the chain reaction can basically be stopped at will. Um, it has a half-life of a few hundred years instead of tens of thousands of years for uranium. And the starting amount of radiation is a fraction of a percent that of, of uranium. Um, and, you know, but again, we're, we're not using it as, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, we're not using it because it couldn't be used to make bombs. Now, here's a perfect example. If the government hadn't been the one directing our energy future, and if instead the market had been doing it, we probably would have used thorium instead of uranium because the market didn't need bombs that could take entire chunks out of the planet. That was something government needed. 
for entirely political purposes. So uranium, from what I've read, and again, you can tell me uh, if I'm on the right track here, uranium being used instead of thorium and the inertia that we now have behind the fact that, you know, government has invested, you know, countless billions of dollars in uranium and the market is built around that government investment is a perfect example of investment investment decisions being made by the government instead of the market. Now, maybe I'm missing out on something here. Is that is is my assessment of thorium versus uranium correct or it's 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 hitting certain things but uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about thorium and there there were quite a bit there but I am not going to like I it's not you know, it, it's just a matter of people like just watching some documentaries and learning a little bit about like the different reactors and fuel cycles, okay. uh, but thorium, it's it's just another basically fuel source. And actually, the thorium is turned into uranium two thirty two thirty three, which is actually fissile, right. which is actually fissile. So you can make a bomb out of that. But the thing is, with the with some futuristic like molten liquid reactors, is once that uranium is made, it's used immediately. Uh, so, um, but the thing is, you can. You can, you can, you can use depleted uranium. You can breed it to be plutonium to be fuel again. You right. can, you can use, uh, you know, you can use uranium two thirty five. Uh, you can use thorium, which turns into uranium two thirty three. Mm. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of fuel cycles. So y- y- you got a few things wrong, but that's okay. Thorium, I, I like it because it allows people to be like. Oh, it's like a it's like a cooler version of nuclear. Right, if that, right. If that gets people interested, I'm all about it. Um, but yeah, the, the when you look at history, it's hard to say. But you know, I, I, the we needed. I think we needed to develop the weapon to uh, end the war, and but as a result of that, we we used the fuel that was readily available, and yeah, we decided yeah, let's just use uranium two thirty. 235 because we're we're already making it for weapons. We're already trying to make plutonium for weapons, right? Right. Exactly. And if you ironically, nuclear power is the biggest uh way to disarm nuclear weapons around the world for about I think 15 years in the United States. Half of our nuclear power plant fuel was made with uh a fuel from ex-Soviet warheads. Oh wow! So you can yeah. actually disarm the warheads and use this the the fuel rods for nuclear power production. Yeah, it's basically turning like napalm back into regular old gasoline. You know, hmm. just just uh, a slow burn instead of what used to be made to destroy our cities now lights them. And I think that's actually a quite beautiful. Yeah, view that's. Of the I world. mean, that's turning swords into plowshares, right? Like that's exactly. a perfect example of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and. uh but my not my idea, but a way around kind of the, the the big infrastructure projects that the government have sponsored before is actually to kind of miniaturize the nuclear power systems mm-hmm. to make them basically mass producible. And so you may want to I uh, ask like listeners and people I talk to to look at some of the modular nuclear power designs because there's a lot of them and we can. Uh, basically crank them out like ships or 747s if we wanted to, instead of building these big projects that require basically well-trained craftsmen to build the thing on site. When, if we use more modular designs, we can, you know, build very, you know, standardized buildings and then just bring the reactors in and the fuel in uh, and just swap them out. And that's kind of the, 
the future, I think, of nuclear. And again, if the market was actually fair, I think that's that's where that's where most of the bids would go. Uh, so uh, that's kind of like why I asked the question about oh, it's is it is it big government? Well, it it doesn't have to. You can use the you know startups and the these companies to to design things that are just more cost effective, and that's why modular designs are better than the big big you know punk. Uh, honking plants we have now you know and with the modular designs you could keep using the same land or the same area for yes. those for those modular plants so you wouldn't have a, you know a, a, you know several hundred or several thousand acres that used to be a power plant that's now having to sit there for tens of thousands of years yeah well n- nuclear power plants can be dismantled and they don't i mean th- they don't need to be worried about for tens of thousands of years but okay. but but exactly right uh like with with the newer stuff the idea is is that Basically, you would send in a reactor that's already fueled, you would run it, and then you would turn it off, let it sit for maybe 10 years, and then literally send it back to the company to be refurbished. So oh, it's, wow. okay. it's it's interesting. Like there's, a, there's so many ways to do nuclear power, and it's not just the, you know, old, you know, Homer Simpson way, you know? So, uh, but, but yeah, I just think, uh, I, yeah, that's why I asked that question. So, um, so let me switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I am really thrilled that a vice presidential nominee uh, literally gets the science right on the head about <laughs> about about nuclear and climate and how you know it, science is really not political; it's just is. And I, the fact that politics kind of you know makes people partisans on matters of science, I. Uh, actually frustrates me because I think it is yeah it, it holds humanity back and uh but so so I just want to say thank you for that but given that you do believe climate change is a problem and I do too uh that we need to figure out uh but I'm not just worried about it because it'll make things hotter it'll flood the coastlines eventually you know we don't know how soon it will mm. um and it could affect the animals and you know the natural world cause some extinctions you know, I don't want any of that, but I'm, I'm more concerned about what climate change will do to the international economy. And I think that if we aren't careful, you know, cl- runaway climate change could severely damage the economy and the, the wealth we've accrued all these years. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at how much damage has been done economically because of COVID-19, which is mm-hmm. a virus, a, a highly, highly, you know, virulent pathogen that has a fatality rate of anywhere from as high as five or six percent uh, to as low as 0.2 or 0.3 percent. I mean, there, there are many factors involved there that determine how high or how low it is. And, you know, we're still we're unfortunately working with incomplete data. But the point is, that was a virus. We'll eventually either have herd immunity or have, um, you know, a, a vaccine, or or they'll find an effective treatment that will be able to, you know, bring things back to at least somewhat relative to normal. It didn't destroy coastlines. It didn't, you know, render entire parts of the planet unlivable. It it didn't change our our weather. It was simply a virus that you know was more deadly than the flu and spread more easily than the flu. Imagine something that recedes our coastlines, makes entire islands disappear, uh, makes 
you know, entire parts of the world unlivable completely changes uh, how our, um, you know, how our, 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 our weather is, changes what parts of the planet we can even live on. Um, there are so many things that that could happen as, you know, changes our, our ecosystem because of, like you said, affecting the, the you know, affecting everything from the, you know, the, 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 the coral reefs to, you know, animals and everything in between. Um, imagine all the damage that can be done to, by that, I mean, not just economically, but just the entire fabric of our society, socially, economically, uh, uh, interactions between different governments, uh, uh, increasing competition for resources. There's so many ways that it could affect things. Uh, and, you know, if there is a way for us to be able to, to solve or ameliorate that or at least slow down that process, while also increasing access to energy and reducing the costs, it seems like a no-brainer to me. And if there are any kind of um, safety challenges there, well, then those are safety challenges for us to look into and face. Those aren't reasons not to do it. Now, I actually have a question, a couple of questions for you. And this is because <laughs> I also have my podcast, so I always go into questioning mode. But there are two things Please. I heard of, and, and you can tell me uh, how how legit these are, but a couple things I heard of that supposedly might be able to really dramatically change. And I'm sure you've heard of these things a thousand times. And these are probably like silly questions to you since you do this all day long. But um, two things I heard of that could potentially drastically and dramatically change the safety profile of uh, of nuclear energy. One was using uh, chirped pulse amplification lasers uh, on spent fuel rods, which would be able to potentially reduce the half-life uh, from any, you know, from the tens of thousands or thousands of years that they currently are to a matter of minutes. Uh, the person who came up with the idea said that he believes it would reduce the half-life of a uh, spent nuclear fuel rod uh, down to as, as, as little as 30 minutes. Uh, and then the other one was the idea of encapsulating the spent uh, graphite, the fuel graphite, or the, or I guess the radioactive graphite inside of uh, diamonds that would act as batteries that could last for as much as 5,000 years, uh, could be used in all sorts of applications like space travel or even pacemakers, pretty much anything where you wouldn't want to have to change the battery or have a, an actual source of energy. Uh, but it would also keep us safe from the radioactivity that's in that fuel for the thousands of years that it's encapsulated. Are those things legit at all or just kind of you know, uh, hype or, or what do you think of those? So the laser thing, I don't know probably anything about that, but I actually had a physics professor at my school that was talking about how so something about lasers and how you can use special lasers to, I think, to transmute the elements yes. from the more like slowly decaying ones to ones that decay quickly. So you right. just, you, you get it down to background levels very quickly. Uh, I don't know if that's really that necessary because we can use, re, we can recycle the fuel until it's gone forever. So the idea of like spent fuel being, you know, basically a toxic pain in the ass forever, it's not true. It's literally mostly unspent fuel because basically the fission reaction causes it to wear out the fuel I and mean, the fuel rods. So they just don't work anymore. They crack and get brittle and uh, they don't undergo the fission reaction properly. But with newer reactors that use like molten molten liquids, literally a big vat of molten salt with the fuel is mixed in with the salt, and it uh, you keep adding the fuel to it over time, uh, it, it burns through all of it. I'm not sure exactly. I may be getting some of this wrong, uh, but it's, the, the physics is there to recycle all the fuel, and there we can we can put it underground. Uh, we can use deep borehole storage if we really you know 
want to get away from it. But, you know, the, the thing is, there's just not that much nuclear waste. So I, you know, it, that sounds great uh, to, you know, if we had some like kind of icky radioactive stuff that we just wanted to, you know, get down to background radiation quickly, that'd be, I mean, that'd be optimal. So that way we don't have to worry about it. So uh, about the graphite, I'm not sure. I don't, graphite, I don't think is used. It's called, I, I believe it's called like a, they either use it as a moderator or a control substance that either uh, slows down neutrons or stops them altogether. Uh, the, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if graphite is really used in reactors anymore. I think there are some molten salt ones that can use graphite, but I, again, I, I'm not sure on like the nitty gritty of like the, all the technology. Uh, okay. Okay. But uh, the diamonds thing, the, the thing is, so th the most of our spacecraft that leave earth into deep space past Mars all use nuclear power. And a lot of people don't right, realize right. that, but they use an isotope of plutonium, which is, I think either plutonium 240 or plutonium 238. And uh, it's really hot. It stays hot, like, like thermally hot. So it uses like a pressure, I mean, a temperature differential in space to produce a current that can run your, you know, your thrusters. So, uh, but that those like kind of decay away after like 30 years to where they don't really produce much electricity. Uh, using, powering stuff on decay, I don't think is very, from what I've heard, it's not very efficient because okay. decay is pretty slow. You're, you're, you're best off busting up those atoms instead of just letting them, you know, spit off particle here and there, you know? So, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, again, like I say, there's a million ways to do nuclear power and the, who knows what we could unlock eventually, you know, we'll reach, eventually we could reach fusion, but until then we have plenty of fission, uh, material and, uh, s stuff like that. And, uh, so th those are good questions. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad the, maybe some of the environmental activists that want to just totally dismiss nuclear, you are essentially blinding yourself to a miraculous and, you know, completely uh, valid part of science. And it's like saying, oh, we just, we won't talk about that science and technology. No, it's, it's here to stay. And the, the things we can do with it are just quite remarkable uh, to advance you know, civilization. I mean, if we get there, our energy stuff figured out, we can recycle stuff until, so we can use closed looped capitalism where all materials are just, you know, processed back to their basic molecules and then recycled again. Uh, we can right. desalinate the water from the oceans. Uh, we can start pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and turning it into uh, like basically petroleum fuels. So, so essentially, uh, zero net emission gasoline that is made by pulling carbon dioxide out of the air and water, which needs to be done anyway, because uh, the oceans are becoming acidic. And uh, so th there are so it, th this technology allows us to just do so many things that wind and solar simply can't. Wind and solar basically necessitates we do less when in fifth, if anything, we need to do a lot more as a planet in terms of energy. And honestly, it is an ethical issue because developing countries deserve the same access to energy that the average American does. 
And, right, exactly. And, and anyone who says otherwise, I you know, I I don't want to say fascist, but it, it it kind of is. It's like saying, oh, well, we've got ours, you don't have yours, so you're basically screwed. You know, it's it's let them eat cake as an energy policy, and that unfortunately exactly. often happens with the so-called uh, you know woke crowd in the Western world. Because our only standard, our, our only frame of reference is how we live. When you try to explain that some of the ideas and not just, you know, energy, but economic ideas, labor ideas, things like that, if applied to the developing world will lead to massive famine and massive destitution. In this case, you know, a total lack of access to energy and forcing them to, you know, I mean, I, I remember reading about how, uh, uh, I forget what the policy was, but it basically stopped the production of, of nuclear energy in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. uh, in parts where their main source of energy was burning trees and, uh, and animal dung. And they were actually getting diseases from, you know, the the aerosolization of what was in the animal dung. We don't even process that because we're so far removed from living that way that it really is. It's like, well, let them eat cake, you know. Oh, they can't have nuclear? Well, then I guess they'll have to use their solar solar panels instead. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. And we're using nuclear and we're also using coal and a lot of other dirty stuff that we really don't like to think about. Um, right. so no, it's, it's a, it's a perfect example of that. And I think part of what's feeding it is also the, because we're so far removed, we're often fed our ideas from major media and from pop culture and within mm-hmm. pop culture, it's almost universal that nuclear is seen as this, you know, obviously under, you know, obviously terrible thing that, you know, should never be, uh, thought of as a great way for energy, but who is it that provides our entertainment? Who is it that provides our news sources? You have a, a handful of large oligarchical uh, corporations that are, you know, cronies uh, to the government, but also they're also in in some cases they're owned by or they own themselves fossil fuel companies and and yeah. energy companies related to fossil fuel. And so when we see that the 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 more nuclear is replaced with the so-called renewables like wind and 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 solar and so forth, uh you end up with like we were saying before a situation where more fossil fuels have to get burned during those times when the wind and solar aren't producing enough to cut it. Whereas with nuclear, it's just sort of this steady uh, flow of energy from start to, to finish for however many decades that it's online. It's perfect for the fossil fuel people. They get to pretend that they're, you know, that they're trying to help the environment by implementing these, these, uh, you know, these renewable sources of energy. But then they also get to burn more fossil fuels. And so it's like a win-win for them. They get, they get you know, so-called environmentalist street cred, but then they also get to burn more fossil fuels and produce more greenhouse gases. And, uh, you know, I, I was surprised to find that there were a number of people who thought that nuclear energy produced greenhouse gases. Yeah. And, and you know, because again, they, they didn't know. And, and, you know, they're just seeing these... Uh, um, they're seeing these reactors that are, you know, with the steam coming out of them and assuming that that's a greenhouse gas. And it's like, no, that's just water vapor and uh, it's actually harmless and, uh, it doesn't hurt anything. And it certainly isn't, you know, changing our, our, our climate's temperature. Um, so no, it's, I mean, it's a lot of misinformation and it's a lot of the kind of standard issue, you know, elitism that the average person in the Western developed world has. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm so glad you know about this stuff because, uh, a lot of people just, I can't even fault them. They don't know enough about the know. energy yeah. system. And that's, I think that's why, you know, when I first started this, realizing that 
that new leader is the way forward. And, you know, I, it, it actually helped me find a purpose in life because I thought I was going to be like a lab scientist, but I realized my disability would have made that really difficult to pursue the education needed for that. And I, I found this, but I've immersed myself with a bunch of very, you know, passionate, scientifically literate humanist people that understand that we're doing this to lift up humanity, you know, uh, and it's, it's, it's easy to, you know, demonize electricity and energy, but in my opinion, I think energy is equivalent to freedom. So, uh, that's just my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the more access to energy we have, the easier our lives can be, the less we are having to physically toil and therefore the freer we are to pursue other things. And the cheaper it is, the, the freer we are financially to pursue those other things. So, I mean, there, it's not for nothing that the market is often trying to deal with our energy problem as the as the first and foremost issue. Because if you don't have something to power whatever your idea is, it's not going very far. Yeah, and, uh, my uh, follow-up to that question would be like, is climate change a threat to liberty around the world? We, we kind of pretty much went over that, but I like have an example I'd like uh, people to listen to. It's uh, um, South Africa, uh, Cape Town had a water crisis where they were almost, they were tracking to realize an exact point when the city would run out of water full stop. And they were able to ration their way out of it. And eventually the rains came again. But, you know, there is technology, like we can use like a some modular nuclear power plants to power uh, reverse osmosis desalination uh, factories that could provide like one nuclear power plant about, I think it was like one gigawatt. So like a big ass coal plant uh, or a really big uh, natural gas plant could provide the entire city with water forever. So uh, when it comes to like basically disarming some potential conflicts, Nuclear does that because it can literally f- f- full sail, uh, limit the amount of climate change, and it could produce abundance from scarcity, which is the you know what leads to a lot of international conflicts. So, most conflict boils down to resources, whatever mm-hmm. precept there was that caused it, you know, whether those people are bad people and we're the good people, almost always, if you look at what the actual fight was over, what what the pretext was behind it, the actual reason for it was either land or re- and, and land is just another resource, some form of resources that always boiled down to that. And I mean, the original conflicts before there were even governments were people fighting over food and land. Um, and, and it's the same thing now. We, we, the most uh, fighting is happening because of a uh, power grab for resources. So anything that increases the amount of resources inherently correspondingly reduces the amount of conflict because the more plentiful, if we live in a land of milk and honey where, you know, everything we could possibly want or need simply is falling from the sky, there'd be no need for any kind of conflict. Now, obviously we don't live in a, in a utopia like that, but we can use technology for an example, for using this example, nuclear energy to increase our resources, not just the energy, but when energy is that much more uh, 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 available and cheap, like you said, so many other things can happen. Water desalinization, uh, uh, pulling carbon from the sky and, and from the waters, all of these things that can only happen when you have massive amounts of cheap energy. And yes, anything that increases resources 
and reduces the cost of those resources is going to inherently not just uh, uh, increase um, or, or reduce conflict, but it's also as a result of reducing conflict is going to increase our liberty because our liberty is dependent on having as few people as possible trying to aggress against our liberty uh, and having us in as good of a position as possible to defend our liberty. And if you reduce the amount of aggression and the amount of conflict, then liberty is going to flourish. The The more we are able, uh, we are in a position to um, casually and and agreeably interact with each other in a voluntary way without this frantic run for trying to get enough to be able to enough resources to be able to, to survive of course we're going to live freer lives because there are fewer people trying to fight each other just for basic resources that we need so absolutely that that feeds to less conflict and, and more liberty definitely definitely well i kind of have one more question here and then sure. and then we can talk about whatever you want till your time's up uh, or to not tell your time's up till you, uh, you have to go uh, do the politics thing. So mm -hmm. uh, the, I, I just kind of came up with this question at random. So sure. a, a big problem, especially with things like housing in the United States, is no one lets people build where the building needs to happen. Yes. And uh, so what I'm worried about is even if the federal government backed off of nuclear power and streamlined it with, you know, and I'm going to say, Nuclear might need some some federal oversight because it's nuclear material, but that's just my opinion. But I mean, we can we can fight about that another day, but not fight about it, but talk about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, what I, I'm just worried people are going to like uh, weaponize local laws and regulations to make sure nuclear is never even built, and they'll still keep claiming these you know, just, just wrong, false safety things of like, oh, we can't have that in the middle of a city, even though newer plants could never melt down by the very laws of physics in, uh, so you can build them closer to cities, uh, without, you know, being scared about them. Uh, what, how do you think we, we could deal with the kind of NIMBYs, you know, not in my backyard yep. folks, uh, that want to use the force of local government to prevent, you know, what's what's needed to be built yeah we have many uh terms that are that you know are used for this the nimbies the not in my backyards uh popular term that i, I guess started last year and has become real popular this year is the karens you know the right. people that are uh, constantly in a vigilant uh, look for anyone who's violating even the smallest bylaws so they can report it to others. Um, we've got the you know we, we I call them the petty tyrants, right? So uh, we had a situation in in uh, my neighborhood where one of my neighbors uh, wanted to uh, be able to do some physical therapy in her home, and she's licensed to do so. And uh, there wasn't going to be any kind of uh, 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 prescriptions given. There wasn't going to be any kind of, uh, any kind of, um, you know, um, blood taking or anything that involved, you know, injecting anyone, no, no penetration of the skin. It was literally going to be, uh, stretching and help, you know, uh, education on how to do different exercises and some massage. And there were some in the neighborhood who banded together to fight that. Because, you know, they, they said, we, we, don't, we don't want businesses here and we don't want people coming. They came up with the most absurd excuses. You know, oh, what, what if one of the customers is a pedophile and they, and they come around our, our, our children here? I mean, they, they lost their minds because this lady simply wanted to be able to do some stretching. And, and again, this is a licensed physical therapist to do, uh, you know, stress stretching and, and massage 
and uh, and exercise in her home. Um, and they lost their minds. So nimbyism is always a, a problem to have to face. And this is actually what we call um, in, in libertarian circles and in the libertarian party, we call it the cult of the omnipotent state. And there, there are many parts to what that cult is. And But one of the parts is the idea that what someone else does on their own property that in no way harms or even directly infringes upon you in any real way is somehow your business just because it's near you. Um, and that takes a culture change. And that's a big part of what we as libertarians are challenging is the idea that, and I mean, we've seen it with everything from methadone clinics to uh, even, even um, uh, uh, affordable housing. Affordable housing is a huge one. So perfect example, Phil, like you said, uh, we have artificial supply uh, restrictions on housing because of zoning laws that are based on people saying, wow, I kind of like my neighborhood looking like this. I think everywhere within however many square miles of me should look like this too. And I don't care what the people who own those properties would rather do with them. Um, and I certainly don't want them to build lots of housing because that infringes upon my liking how my neighborhood looks. And so as a result, housing becomes artificially scarce and artificially more expensive, mm -hmm. which is a direct, a, 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 in, in many ways, because they are utilizing the state to do this, it is a form of aggression against the poor. Uh, it is a form of imposition of their personal aesthetic on people who can't afford housing and end up being homeless. And then those homeless people are treated as a blight when, instead, when in fact they are the victims of petty tyranny. So Perfect example of this with nuclear weapons is, or, or nuclear energy, I'm sorry, with nuclear energy, perfect example, you know, not only do we need to be fighting the, against the, just the bad misinformation against nuclear energy, but we need to be fighting against the bad misinformation about the idea that we should be petty tyrants and that we should be imposing our personal uh, uh, preferences and aesthetics on the properties of others. Uh, and it is, you know, it's not just at the federal level, it's, it's all the way down to the bottom. Um, like you said, it's, it is a local issue. Um, with that said, I do think that there is, you know, as, um, as these technologies come out and as they proliferate, I think that people will see, will naturally mm. see, uh, that it's not as much of a risk as they thought that it was going to be. Now, will there be some resistance? Yes, yeah. but that's where, that's where education and, 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 and counter activism against their, their nimbyism will come into place. So the short answer is vigilance. We just have to be vigilant and we have to, we have to fight bad misinformation with good factual scientifically sourced and scientifically backed information. And we need to, you know, in a greater sense, fight against the, the prevailing idea that we should be able to impose our, our preferences on others and their properties. Yeah, that uh, was supposed to segue to my my last bit is uh, uh, can we convince the public to take a second look at a nuclear? And I'm going to emphatically, is that the right word? Emphatically say yes, because I like our organization is a, is proof of that. The pro-nuclear movement on the internet has exploded yep. and people have come to information that's better. And a lot of people realize they've been lied to about this source of power and that it, it it was the future all along. And I think especially the, you know, younger generation that didn't deal with the cold war and some, and like Chernobyl and stuff uh, are going to be totally fine with it and be like, that's actually really cool. You know, the, uh, the, the fear of nuclear, I think a lot of it just had to do with the cold war and, uh, 
now I think people are realizing that, hey, you need to look at everything. And in fact, something interesting is I went to a Bernie Sanders rally with a sign that said Bernie is wrong about nuclear power because he wants to phase it all out, which would be catastrophic for our emissions. Uh, thank God. I mean, I'm I'm not disappointed he wasn't the nominee. Like, uh, but sorry, Bernie people. But I mean, you know, I don't want to make enemies here. But uh, uh, and all, pretty much all the young people agreed with me. And I was like, you know, I think we're going in the right direction. And the fact that we have a presidential nominee, I mean, I hope they can get in the debates. We'll see. Uh, that can mention nuclear power is is just so needed right now. It's uh, And if we have, like, people talking about the real solutions, people will – people are looking for a leader. And they'll if, – if some – high-ranking officials start to talk about it, I think people will start to talk about it more and open their minds and, you know, try to learn uh, the best information they can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. So, well, hey, we've been uh, talking for a long time. We've touched on a lot of stuff. Uh, I am so glad you know so much about this. And uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Definitely, and you and you and Joe seems like a like a good team. Uh, would you? Is there any place people can look to learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, if anyone wants to find out more, uh, first of all, you can follow me on my social media on Twitter at Real Spike Cohen, uh, or on Facebook, uh, Spike Cohen, your next VP, uh, or in the Facebook, or I guess in the address bar, it's facebook.com slash literally Spike Cohen. Um, and, uh, obviously you can find out about Joe Jorgensen, my presidential running mate, uh, anywhere on social media. If you type in Joe Jorgensen, J O R G E N S E N, you will, you will find her on all the various social media platforms. Our website is, uh, Joe J J O J two zero two zero. That's J O J 2020.com. Uh, you can donate, you can sign up to volunteer. Uh, you can join our team. We would love to have you. Joe Jorgensen and I, seek nothing less than a world set free. Imagine a situation in which you are saving thousands of dollars because you are no longer being coercively taxed to fund a bunch of things that do nothing to help your life and are only uh, being used for war and endless caging of innocent people and endless printing of fiat notes to fund political considerations that have nothing to do with your life. Imagine if the wars end and our troops come home and the healing begins and the blowback from people who are sick of being invaded by us ends and the terrorism ends. Imagine if the PTSD and the traumatic brain injury and the uh, the you know, rash of veteran suicides goes down and eventually ends because we're no longer sending our loved ones overseas to fight in wars that have nothing to do with our safety and everything to do with the protection of crony interests. Imagine if the war on drugs and the war on sex work ends and the prisons open and the people the, the the people who committed victimless crimes, things that should have never been crimes to begin with, are able to go home and are able to uh, build themselves back up and are, are able to get good jobs and be reunited with their families. Imagine a situation in which 
people are not having to choose between destitution and poverty and a life of crime because occupational licensing has been removed and uh, the, the poor are able to work themselves up through peaceful entrepreneurialism and be able to build themselves out so that they don't have to live on welfare and they don't have to live a life of crime to get ahead in life. Imagine a world set free. Imagine a world where you are freer, safer, happier, and which your children have a better future. That is the world that Joe Jorgensen and I wish to create. And with your support, we can do it. And with your vote, we can do it. And we uh, thank you for your time. And we uh, hope to have your support this November. Well said, sir. Thank you so much. Well, uh, we'll talk to you again sometime, maybe. Thank you very much, Phil. Yeah, thanks. There you have it. We have talked to Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen, Libertarian Party nominees for president and vice president of the United States, about how nuclear power is a technologically valid, economically viable, and politically nonpartisan way to address the climate crisis. It's great to know that enabling nuclear deployment is a major climate strategy in a major political party. If you like what you heard and want more content, you can support us and our mission online at www.americansfornuclearenergy, all one word, .org. Again, that's www.americansfornuclearenergy.org. We have a link to donate with PayPal under the Mobilize page. You can also purchase some A&E swag under our store page. This will really help us pay for the little things, especially online service fees to keep our organization running. We are a group of almost 10 volunteers at the moment, and we could use some monetary support. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. Lastly, we really want your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and concerns. We have a message form on our website under the About section, or you can email us directly at main at americansfornuclearenergy, all one word, dot org. Again, that's main at americansfornuclearenergy.org. Thank you for tuning into this episode. This is Phil Ord of A&E's Climate Fix podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.